0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network, as well as the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible shows like the MarTech Podcast hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. The MarTech Podcast is all about maximum value in 30 minutes or less. The MarTech Podcast shares stories from world-class marketers who use technology to generate growth and achieve business and career success all in your lunch break. If you like any of these topics, you're going to love the MarTech podcast. Some of the topics are zeroing in on the ideal product price point, identifying loyalty plays for smart marketers, finding the line between sales and marketing and SaaS, extending the lifetime value of your customer. If these are topics that are interesting to you, Go check out the Martech podcast hosted by Ben Shapiro wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Harpal Sambi. He is the founder and CEO of Magical. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's also an angel investor. He bootstrapped. His first business career fight, serving over 250,000 users globally, such as Microsoft, Deloitte, Unilever, Blizzard, Activision, and SpaceX, before selling to LinkedIn. This is his second go around with Magical. He just raised one of the largest Series A rounds of investment. Uh, coming out of San Francisco ever. So an incredibly successful entrepreneur. We went into several topics, and the way we structured this episode was things that he did in his first startup at Careerify, and then things that he would do differently with Magical. So a lot of great lessons learned, this is uh, focusing on the human side of entrepreneurship, Uh, both internally in the company and who you look for to help you grow as an entrepreneur or founder. So let's jump right into this. This is Harpal Sambi. He is the founder CEO of Magical.
1: Awesome. Well, my story comes from Toronto, Canada. Uh, I'm a son of immigrants. And at a very early age, I learned how to hustle because not a lot of things came to me uh, because my parents were trying to provide food on the table. So I didn't have allowances. It didn't have uh, some of the things that my friends had at school. So as a result, I had a result to entrepre- entrepreneurship very quickly. Example, I re-labeled Fruit Loops and Lucky Charms to Harpal Loops and Luck- uh, Harpal Charms. And I sold them to my neighbors to afford a Bubba Gum. <laughs> and, you know that that kind of mindset of just like being able to kind of like figure out how to sell something repackage things uh burn cds make more money kind of came to uh, uh you know to, to ingrained in my kind of overall job descriptions and when i thought about like applying to jobs it just didn't resonate because you know they want you they want people to be in a box roles responsibilities and i was like i can provide a lot more so entrepreneurship came to me naturally uh, in university, in college, I started my first company that was a software business called CareerFi. CareerFi was really focused on empowering every employee to become a recruiter because the fact is Scott has really great relationships, but he may not know all the jobs that are at a company. Uh, he may not know all the people that he has amassed in his respective career. Uh, so how do you kind of connect the people to jobs and, and really empower the employee to become a recruiter? So we really kind of focused on connecting the, the social graph, the LinkedIn's, the Facebook's, the Twitter's of Scott, the employee, and then go, come back to Scott and say, hey, Harpo, Scott, we think Harpaul could be a good job, fit for this job. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the idea originated from my dad because, you know, he, again, he's, he's an immigrant. He worked at a manufacturing company. You know, that company in 2009 was servicing GM Chrysler Ford. Obviously, we know what happened in those stories where there's massive unemployment and layoffs. And he was fortunate to have a job, though he took a 60% pay cut. But what he was really saddened was the fact that his friends weren't able to provide food on the table anymore uh, because they don't have a paycheck. So, you know, for me, I really like biz- building businesses where it ultimately helps people do the things that they love versus just. Pleasure, like I, I help, I love helping pain uh, mm-hmm. of people either can't finding a job or they having mundane, repetitive, still crushing tasks or um, things where they can ultimately improve their lives, and that's kind of um, you know where my 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 passion kind of comes from. So, nonetheless, uh, Career Five was completely bootstrapped from start to finish, which is kind of rare nowadays. I feel in a software age, and you know, first four years went from. Zero users to one user potentially. Uh, thankfully, I was living with my parents, so I, I didn't. Uh, you know, my salary was one dollar, and I, I didn't necessarily have to do a lot. But um, and I didn't burn a lot. But at the same time, we were struggling. You know, crossing the chasm, as we call it. <laughs> in the last eighteen months, we went from zero to two hundred fifty thousand users. We had several million in revenue, seven figure contracts with Deloitte, SpaceX, Groupon, Microsoft, Unilever ended up selling it to LinkedIn in 2015, and then joined my product, uh, joined the product team at LinkedIn. From there, I really want to just give back to the community. So I made it a life mission to help any entrepreneur who cold emails me, help any student and help the elderly. That's kind of like my life mission now. And spent time investing in startups, uh, you know, and at the same time, thinking about my next play, uh, which was really kind of, what do we do with this this platform of the internet, where people are connected to so many different apps, and they have to do
0: these data silos? Like, how many tabs do you have, Scott, open right now? By the way, uh, two. Well, too many. So I'm at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm at eight, and I close some so that. While we're recording, (laughs) my CPU doesn't get too high, and I don't have any, like, uh, breaking the connection or whatnot. So, like, 8 is, like, the minimum, basically. And I think that's the life that we live in, right?
1: Um, yeah. So we we are context switching all the time. In order to write an email, we're referencing our CRM. Maybe it's LinkedIn. Maybe it's a, a system of record to kind of solve a problem. And we kind of data swivel back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to source, to data entry, to fill something in, or even to send a message. And that is essentially magical, which is my latest company, which is to automate soul-crushing, mundane tasks so you can do the stuff that you love. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, entrepreneur,
0: love to help people and that's kind of like my overall story. I love it. Um, and, and the, the, the story arc or the thesis for why you do things, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I know that, um, now, now that helps me sort of put the pieces together as to why you choose to start certain businesses. Right. Um, I, I actually never knew the story behind uh, Careerify and why you wanted to to build out like an alternative. It seemed like just like um, like a like a professional networking platform, but it was actually to leverage like human capital and social capital to help people like in your network, place them, find them jobs, help them improve their lives. Same with like magical. That's what you're doing now. Um, so as we as you know as you go through your entrepreneurial journey i think it would be interesting uh to walk through some of the things that you've done previously uh when you built your first company and then some of the lessons that you've learned and then some of the things that you're doing now maybe a little bit differently uh and i also want like you can you know speak to the success that you've had in terms of maybe the velocity of the success that you've had in the second venture versus the first venture coming from experience, was it easier? Did it move quicker? Or is every time you start something as an entrepreneur, is it just as difficult as the first time you did it?
1: Yeah. uh, I think entrepreneurship is difficult no matter what age, how much experience you have, no matter what. (laughs) Um, I think the gray hairs or lack of hairs, in my case, uh, starts to speak volumes of like some of the experiences of what not to do. And there's key lessons that you ultimately learn I, I did a retrospect, actually, the day after I sold my business uh, to LinkedIn the first time around, and I realized that that six-year journey could have been shrunken into two, two and a half years at most uh, from what I learned during those six years at year six to ultimately be able to kind of do the same outcome. Maybe it would have been not sold to LinkedIn, but would have had the same amount of revenue, would have had the same amount of traction. And I think that's just what experience gives you, right? It's the mm-hmm. it's the gray hairs, and it, it it gives you whatnot. I I was really naive when I started my business, and I didn't know what to do. Um, and I think I, I I think I could chalk it up to probably ten key kind of like highlights uh, that I I changed from my first business Careerify to my second business Magical. So first and foremost, like I'm a big I'm a big fan of hiring and thinking about DEI, um, you know, diversity and inclusion. Um, and it really, the way that I think about it is not necessarily to have like an artificial number because I think a lot of companies like slap something on and they're like, hey, we need to have a specific ratio of, of gender, of, um, of, you know, ethnicity and so on. I really think about it from like a thought diversity perspective and ultimately like, who are you serving? So I- I- at Magical we serve the billions of people that use the internet. And as a result, you have to look at the composition and start to say, well, how do we kind of really reflect and act and start to articulate some of the needs and wants of our, of our users. So for us, as an example, we have an internal metric where we're shooting, um, for 52% of our work composition to be female. And it's not necessarily to again create a number, but it's just from our perspective we say <laughs> the ratios of the world. Uh, there's there's more female than male. We have all, uh, we have we have that unequal representation when we look at our user base, no matter what. And we should start to represent that because the more that we start to represent that and have a lot of different walks of lives, the better we can start to have some of the finer things and that an individual user wants, uh, whether it is from a different country or maybe if, if it's a different age, as an example as well. Um, so that's something that, you know, we just didn't have a full touch on and appreciation on when we built our first company. Uh, and hiring is exceptionally explicit here, where we're really trying to ensure that we're talking to not only, you know, uh, different age groups and different ethnicities, but it's different diversity of like thought perspective. Like I want the best farmer to work at Magical because the best farmer can teach us things that hopefully we can incorporate from a different industry.
0: I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now the new year might have you thinking ahead to what you want out of your career. So when you think about your success story, what do you actually picture? Is it retiring early with a beautiful view of the skyline? Is it leaving a legacy with your name on it? Or maybe it's helping influence and change some of the world's most pressing issues. Whatever it is, writing your success story starts by working smart. Because when you work smart, your success story writes itself. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your marketing campaigns work harder, and smarter with intuitive visual workflows and bot builders. You can create scalable automated campaigns across email, social media, web, and chat. So your customers hear your messages loud and clear. Are you tired of your content, not adapting to mobile, making it difficult for your customers to absorb your message? A HubSpot CRM platform optimizes your content for multiple devices so that you can reach your customers wherever they are which is just smart. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM at HubSpot.com. One thing that I was curious about was how do you build a hiring process that supports that? So it's it's so simple. It's so, so simple to fall into the trap of, and this is not a good thing, but this is what happens when people, you know, the, the incorrect interpretation of culture in a business is you're just hiring people that are, Similar to what you already have, which is, yeah. in my opinion, and what you just described, incorrect. So, how do you make sure that you build this into an actual process so that an entrepreneur starting out can get this right from the from the from the get go? Because a, a nervous entrepreneur that's just starting out probably would feel more comfortable hiring somebody that's very similar to them. It probably would feel like safe, right? So, how do you not? Yeah. How do you go against that? I think there's a couple of things um, to to
1: ultimately anchor an entrepreneur on. Number one, like be intentional about company values. I think ultimately, my first business, I went to kind of websites, went to Google, went to like other companies, and just said, "Hey, let me go ahead and just steal their values, and then you write it on a wall, and that's it." And really quickly, I realized that not a lot of people. Even you, what our value, I, I didn't know my, what my values were either. So being very intentional, of the values of what you want to become, I think really starts to help in the sales process overall. I think then you create that intentionalism and you start to go into interviewing and saying, okay, like we have, we know who we are. We come from this ilk. Uh, we have these people in our network. But at the same time as well, where do we want to ultimately help diversify and be explicit and, and, and intentional about it. So as an example, we said, Hey, we want to start to tap into the LGBTQ community. We don't really have much in our network. So let's go out there and find it and be explicit and start to go into those communities. And that's something that you have to be more proactive on instead of taking the reactive measures. And I think it's lost one of the, the things that people, they, they, they just don't necessarily, and entrepreneurs just don't kind of like come back to. And this is like one that I really had a huge guard up, but now I'm totally for us. Is asking for help, right, mm. and asking for favors. Uh, so just being able to say, Scott, like I don't have a network here. Do you have a network here? And being intentional about the explicit helps that you need can really start to open up the kind of like the conversations and speed up the ability to get you into those networks to then become more intentional about your hiring.
0: So those are kind of like a lift after you figure, after you make that connection, it's less of a lift after you do it the first time, after you ask for help the first time, then it's all of a sudden something that's more easily accessible to you too. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think those are, those are like the key areas of how to become a lot more intentional when it comes to kind of like the hiring process. Start first, start by, you know, diversifying your pool, being more explicit there, getting into avenues and channels that you're not comfortable with and being okay Mm -hmm. with and then in- ensuring that your interviews
0: have well diversity or representation of the diversity that you're in for okay so that that covers like so now that's hiring and then as you're interviewing you're seeking out these candidates i'm um, so hiring and interviewing kind of like go hand in hand when you're trying to improve improve this aspect of your business um uh what about what about the transparency when it comes to both what you're looking for in a candidate, as well as what the candidate is exposed to in, in your business.
1: Yeah. I, you know, in my first business, I was hidden, I was hiding everything and it's not intentional, but I, you know, you just learn that, uh, less is more, I guess. Like, that's like the adage that people sometimes say. And as a result, like, you know, my, I would say my employees sometimes were in the dark of like, were we fundraising, were we not? What happened to this big account that you were talking about that just didn't happen? And I realized there that if you have radical candidness in your company, and this is what we're doing in now magical, where we, we have our investor updates are open, our uh, financials are open to every employee to scrutinize or ask questions of why we're making these investments. Um, our decision making process is open it allows people to a understand your side and b ha- allow them to ask the right questions for themselves because i think a lot of the miscommunication and challenges in in company building comes from and stems from assumptions and if you don't know the key facts then assumptions start to create and then you go to other employees that might have other assumptions now if you level the playing field Of just creating all the facts within your company then we're all basing it off the same facts and that creates the ability to have a very binary discussion to be able to say hey these are the facts this is how we're thinking about it what is your thought and now you agree to disagree versus not and i think my first time around like i said in 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 careerify my first business we just didn't have that a lot of entrepreneurs that i spoke to i was like do you provide You know, financial updates. They're like, no, we don't want to show the fact that we have six months of runway. Now, Mm -hmm. those are sometimes situations where you you as an entrepreneur have to ask yourself, like, what is this information going to do to an employee? Like, it could be potentially uh, um, an alarming figure, but at the same time, it's reality. And why not give, if you give people the data, if you give radical candidness, you start to create a foundation of trust. And a foundation of trust is where you can work off of, versus, you know, s- providing a- an alternate universe if that makes sense, on um, specific data points, or conversely, trying to lead them on, hoping for a prayer to whim, like a new client to kind of increase your ru- runway, and it never happens, right? So I, I, that that is something that I, we definitely learned a lot of, and I think you're spot on in terms of building out that transparency and ultimately within the actual
0: company itself. Um, how do you deal with, deal with is probably the wrong word. How do you manage all of the opinions that were going to come at you now, when you do have that radical candor, because now everybody is going to have an opinion about what you should do and how you should do it. Um, and it may be difficult for people to, to understand that you're not accepting their opinion or perhaps like if they're, they're coming from a place where they think they know what, what's best, but potentially you disagree with them as a founder, an entrepreneur, how do you manage that? Because there's a ton of noise the second you open everything up.
1: Yeah. For me specifically, it's about instilling trust and ownership, and we can always agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think the, the big thing that I've learned over 12 years so far is people want to be heard and if you can't give them the voice, then you're, you're already facing that battle of, of, of mistrust and not understanding the entire interpretation and and the decision-making process once you provide them this data points or not provide them the data points. So you often have surprises where people just resign and you're like, well, where did this come from? Right. So I, I think it's important for any entrepreneur to say this room that we're building with you as employees is it's a room of trust. It is something where we're not going to always agree by, but at the same time, if you take the adaptation of learning, listening, and then pausing to reflect and say, I agree or disagree, that is actually like 90% of the the, the battle. People want to be heard, right? So that is the way that I like to construct it. And the, the delta between my first business and second business is night and day. People... Make informed decisions. People will say, Harpal, I disagree with your thought here, but let's move forward because ultimately, a lot of decisions when you when you come down to kind of like what is this decision, it's not going to break or make the company. Now, if if it's a decision where you're going to make or break the company, i.e., you're going to sell the business, you're going to go for a fundraise, you're going to go bankrupt, uh, you're taking on a key account that transcends the overall business then I do think you need to kind of move slow and think long and hard about it and, and welcome those opinions to ensure that you have it. But most of these ideas, most of these decisions, there's always two doors. And if there's if the door can allow you to come back, you can always kind of say, hey, you were right. Let's go now build this. And you now have a bedrock of information that you can now quickly speed up in order to kind of self the 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 solution again versus not going at it all so that's how i think about it and as a result like like i said like it's it's really elevated our ability to
0: have a better employee experience in the company that's smart i like that um okay so you're hiring talent um speak to me about uh investing in talent so do you try and bootstrap do you try and find the cheapest option and train them up do you look for certain maybe soft skills as opposed to uh, X experience with a certain hard skill or in a certain position? How do you go about that?
1: I think there's always a trade-off depending on your financial situation. My first business, I was bootstrapped. You know, I, I penny pinched. I come I come from immigrants, right? So we really try to stretch the dollar there. And, you know, I think what what ended up happening is we really hired for like that can-do attitude, the hustle mentality instead of experience. And while that is great, the the challenge is, and I think the key, what I've learned from the best in the business, in the tech space at least, is you want to scale yourself as an individual. And in order to scale yourself as an individual, you need to create ownership. And there are moments and times where inexperienced hustle is exceptional for the job, but you have to then delineate of, you have to, in that in those scenarios when you want to invest in that, that your time and energy is going to be there to up-level and train them, which is always part of the job. And then there's going to be positions out there where you really need to get the top talent in. So what I like to do is I I look at the job position or the roles or responsibilities and say, if this is going to really transcend the company or hinder the company? Do we want to make a bet on someone that's going to be raw, have a whole bunch of hustle, or hire someone that has top talent? And I found that my decision-making process at CareerFi, given that we were bootstrapped, I would often kind of curb to inexperienced and... Well, I might have had the money, but it, it's if you know, I might have shaved off another month of runway, or you know, it would have been tight and wouldn't, but you know, I wouldn't be able to hire three people, I would be able to hire two. Like, if you start to have those conversations in your head where you're trying to umming and ahhing about um, the, the quality over quantity aspect, go after quality, hands down, uh, especially if the job title and the job position is something that is very, very pivotal for the organization in itself. Okay, and so and I think went, like the oh, go ahead, yeah.
0: sorry. No, go for it. No, I was going to say so so Careerify you did you did bootstrap because I just want to highlight that the difference so Careerify you did bootstrap and you were going for cheaper hustle and then uh with Magical you are hiring you you're trying to push your your budget for the talent that you're bringing in so that you aren't as a as a CEO, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, spending your time trying to upscale these people, you're trying to get people that are walking in that do have the experience, especially in those executive or, or like key integral roles, right? That's what you're doing with Mashable correct right now.
1: Okay, y- yes, we're paying above than what public companies will pay, simply because mm-hmm. we want it to be a place where people can get ownership. And you don't have to think as an entrepreneur for that line of business. Now, there's always gonna be problems, right? But you're creating and instilling trust in that person to get the right to get the job done and hopefully his or her respective career and experience can can be something that you can lean on while making decisions while they're making decisions as well
0: it seems like that's an entrepreneurial maturity thing that you're able to hire somebody and trust them because i know a lot of very successful entrepreneurs that have the biggest issue trusting the highest salaries on their team even though that's why they're hiring them um i'm curious if you have maybe advice for somebody that's in this position they want to hire talent and they're self-aware enough to know that they sometimes step into like a sort of like a micromanaging mindset what's that what what's the trust factor like what how do you put how do you how did you allow yourself to let go of employees what was the test that you did internally in your head that was like this person is actually doing quite well um and i keep screwing stuff up every time i step in and 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 try and oversee what they're doing is there something that you did to yourself that allowed you to remove yourself from that kind of mentality
1: yeah i think the big thing was just self-awareness of what i'm really great at and what i'm not great at at all and there's a lot of things that i'm not great at in fact i'm really poor at doing and i think though we might have some understanding of the overall business, you need to start to, and you might have like the best feel for the end user or for your end customer, because as a founder or founding team member, you're like, I just know this person really well and I know the problem really well, but we 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 not we may not know the solution. So I would say like the stark difference again in CareerFi, my first business, I wanted to own it all because that was what you see, right? I wanted to be part of all the decision-making process. I wanted to be in part of it. But that slowed the company down to a halt where if Harpal wasn't there, he was on vacation, if he didn't pick up the phone, there was nothing happening in the business. So what one has to do is to say, okay, there's two things. One is like, what's best for the business? And that's the first question that I ask myself is what's best for the business? Is it for Harpal to do this or is it for someone else to do this, especially given that they might have a better pedigree, better experience, a better intimate understanding of a specific part of the business itself? And then second, it's really thinking about The overall of letting go Uh, and if you can let go of the things that you're not great at with people and entrust them immediately and not even thinking about like, and I think there's there's an important factor of like trust over time and trust in day one. If you give people trust in day one, they have faith that they can run with it and there's going to be mistakes. Sure. But at the end of the day, what you really want to drive for is that overall trust and integrity that you have and your empowerment of this person that they got this. And and then what what that ends up doing is if you hire people that are 10X better than you or better than you in every facet, including the, job, the things that you're great at, it allows you now to do things that are more strategic. Maybe you can take a, a step away from the day-to-day and start to think long-term. Maybe it's to say, okay, they got this part of the business. Let me now focus on another part of the business that I'm. we have.
0: I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more supplies, people shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it Indeed.com slash Clary, terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. ...really
1: opened up yet. And I think that's the key thing is the ability to kind of like really allow you to extend yourself to areas where the what with what matters to the business. So those are kind of like the, the key thoughts of how I was able to kind of like move my way myself away from owning everything to now saying, let go of everything and be able
0: to focus on key strategic things. And that's 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 letting go. That's trust. And the last sort of, I guess, the last people or human component that you, you touched on before that I thought was interesting, you mentioned how important company values are. And company values kind of transcend almost everything that we just spoke about. Um, now, the follow-up question is, say you are a founder and you have the company values that you you're really adamant about. How do you hire for those? How do you hire people that fall in line or believe in the same values that you have as a founder? Because ultimately, I think that's, that, would, that would make that person, you can trust them, and they can be excellent at their craft. But if they don't fall in line with those same values, that's going to be a huge issue as well.
1: Yeah, there's, there's something very tactical that one can do, which is I like to take half of our values um, that are key to Magical and then take values that are not key to magical and present them to a candidate and then ask them, which are the top values speak well to you? Mm. And what I'm trying to assess there is how well um, they are in line with our core values and values that are really strong, but not necessarily represent magical or magicians, as we call it, uh, our employees today. And that gives me a good telemetry very quickly. But I, I think the... The key thing here, and I I, I love values, I, I've spent a lot of time in the last three weeks on rituals that we're starting to instill in our year-and-a-half-old company, <laughs> That and one of the things that I recognize is values of a founder might be very different for values of the early employees or values of the 50, employee number 50 or 100 or 300 or 500. and. We've made this a yearly ritual where we reevaluate our values to see and represent who we are today as a company, so value number one was built by me. However, value uh, number two was built by a team of ten where these founding employees now can become part of the fabric and say that this is what they contributed to, and now they breathe to breathe it because that's really important for scaling is you want those people to embody. And breathe those things so then they can scale your culture to the next level from 10 to 100, and then so on and so forth. Uh, so those are the two tactical things that I do. One is refreshing values to make sure that they represent all the employees today and have a very thoughtful discussion around them. I, I often bring a facilitator or coach to kind of just really help codify that and anchor us and ground us in that. And number two, on the tactical side on interviewing, really thinking about the overall kind of employee candidate experience where we ask them like what is true to you as a as an individual and then we can make that assessment of if they're going to be a good cultural thought or not
0: um can you if you're if you're comfortable with it can you walk me through like some of the some of the values that you've actually instilled that magical because i just think it's it's fascinating that you focus so much on them i think it would be a good lesson for people to understand what's important for somebody who is a you know, serial entrepreneur building the second company and how you sort of built out this tiered, uh, value system as your company's grown. Yeah, for sure. Um, so first and
1: foremost, uh, our vision is to build a global workforce. That's free and mundane, uh, of soul crushing tasks. Uh, that's number one. And our
0: vision that's is like the to first deliver... thing you told me, that's the first thing yeah. you told me on like, uh, on our first call together. I remember that. Yeah, exactly.
1: And our, our overall mission is to deliver products and empower uh all internet users and create this magical moment uh because as a magician you know when you're watching a magician they pull a rabbit out of the hat or they they take the card and you're like no way how did they do that that is what we really want to create ourselves so we really embody the cultural elements into the company brand when it comes to magical and how we kind of think about our overall values so that's our vision and mission is we set those up and we codify that and the then kind of, kind of come down to kind of like the values overall, and we have six values. So number one is make make magical moments. Uh so again, kind of you can play experiment, you can create these magical moments for both your employees or magicians, as we call it, uh, and also for your end users. Uh number two, uh create grit without compromise. So have the confidence to hustle and spark change. But at the same time, keep the quality in mind because y- you're scaling a product, right? And we went from March at zero users, we're now over 300,000 users. We have over 25,000 companies using our products, and you know you have to think about scale and you have to think about quality. Uh, number three is practicing thoughtfulness. Uh, it's really about measuring twice, uh, cutting once, uh, and understanding that every decision has an impact to your colleagues, to your customers, to your users, to your stakeholders. Uh, so just think about it twice. Number four, five, and six are really thinking about like who we are as, a, as individuals. Uh, number four is really thinking about everyone belongs. And the key word that we have here is being psychologically safe in a company. So we realize in software, anyone can build anything. It's pretty easy to do now. So what is our real superpower? And it's really our differences as individuals. So we really wanna make a place where everyone has a voice, it's psychologically safe, and our differences are are, are truly our, our greatest superpower. Number five is really about practicing radical candidness or candor, uh, yeah. being open, transparent, constructive with everyone that you're speaking and working with and having that voice. And then, last but not least, is hiring for a 10x human, which is a key distinction Scott between hiring a 10x talent, because you can be a 10x talent but be an asshole. And what we want to do is, we want <laughs> <Not> to hire, <right. laughs> we want to hire 10x humans that practice compassion, kindness, and and that is like the key distinction there. So those are kind of like the values um, that we bring forth
0: at Magical. Um, now, some of the some of the points uh, so that was sort of on the on the human side of, of the business and then some of the points that you highlight are important for entrepreneurship. Um, I want I also want your opinion on these because I think they're I think I, your opinion on why some of these are important is interesting because I noticed that th- there's a list of some of, of some uh, some things that you've put together that you want to do differently or that you do do differently now with Magical. but none of the items that you listed are are bi- like tr- like if they're business their business items but they're not what i would assume somebody would put in a list of 10 things i do differently for example i would assume somebody would speak about investment or how to scale faster or how to build a better product or all these different things that are actually not on this list so the last 4 are are learning asking for help, being vulnerable and being human. So you Mm -hmm. focus the first six on hiring the best people and, and all the things that come with that, then the last four almost seem like who you are as a person as, and that's important to, to entrepreneurship. And none of the items in this list were focused on like business growth strategy. So I just thought it was an interesting observation and maybe walk me through the last four and why they are important, but also why did you choose this list of 10 versus something that I maybe uh, incorrectly would assume would be something that would be a very tangible takeaway from your first business uh, that you could have implemented in your second business.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the key here is how could this be ubiquitous to any type of business, whether you're building mm-hmm. a sushi restaurant, uh, you're you're building a winery. You're building a, a startup in the tech space. A real estate firm uh, doesn't matter, right? And I think the application has to be universal and it has to transcend any boundary, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think just generally having a, a growth mindset or you know learning continually is something that is embedded and woven in a lot of the successful start- uh, founders that I, I actually know. Um, they're constantly learning to seek to to learn continually in their craft of business and outside of the craft of business because they want to see if they can apply what they learn to from the best wineries to build in their tech startup or uh you know understand how a D2C company does it so then they can apply it for their real estate firm so i think learning is embedded no matter what number 2 i think the key thing that has helped me my first business was i was a solo founder and it's a tough journey, man. Like, I remember so many times where I, I I just didn't know where to go to, and people are afraid of just asking for help. And I think, like the, the adage of if you don't ask the question, it's always gonna be no, is so true, right? So like, mm-hmm. being able to go out and 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 showing that I need help, which then stems to like the the second to last point in this this article that I kind of wrote, which vulnerability, right? Like. People have their guard up. They, they, you know. We often say, "How are you doing?" Every, the first word that you often hear is "doing well." Yeah. You know. <laughs> when do we hear people say, "I'm not doing great," and it's interesting because, like, when when I've actually done that, people stop their agenda to lean in, and when they lean in, you got a hundred percent of their attention. And I think you know, for me now i've i've said this to my current employees sometimes at magical i was just like yeah like i've had a mental stress point where i just needed to take a day or two off now if you're hearing that from the founder to be like uh covid like did some shit to me (laughs) like it's it's reassuring that this person is human and I too can start to create this vulnerability and start to put our guards down and start to build that trust because trust is what makes or breaks a a relationship and makes or breaks ultimately a company. So I I think it's exceptionally important to kind of just like have that vulnerability to not only the stakeholders, uh, whether it's employees, but also to customers. Like we're human at the end of the day. We want to help people. And I think if, if, if it wasn't for vulnerability and for me lowering my guard, Eight days from going bankrupt at CareerFi, I was eight days from going bankrupt, by the way. I wouldn't have signed that contract because she literally, like, you know, God bless her, she, 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 you know, she was an HR lady and she was kind of hanging out with, like, just saying, yeah, your product's great, but maybe another time, maybe another time, maybe another time, the classical, like, not now. And I told her, I called her up to say, hey, I'm eight days from going to bankrupt, I'm not looking for a sale. You're an HR person. How do you transition people out so you give them a soft landing? That was a conversation that I was trying to have with her. And she's That's like, so hold bad. on. Wow. She said, hold on. And then literally a minute of pause, I was just like, not sure what's happening. And she's like, check your email. This, your, your agreement's now signed. And I was flabbergasted because I was just like, I am eight days from going to bankrupt. And now you just funded me $30,000 to now give me a month's runway to then became two, three, five months afterwards and we became profitable. But why'd you do this? I'm telling you that I'm going bankrupt. And she was like, because you're a human. And before you were trying to sell a product, a value proposition, but you you have to realize, you know, especially as a startup person, you're selling your vision, you're selling yourself. And if I can't deal with, if I'm dealing with a robot, I don't want to deal with you. If you're a human and you want to like, Learn from me, and I'm learning from you. That's the type of relationship that I want. And that moment really kind of codified to me to become vulnerable with people and, and to share more because that's how you build a bond with each other.
0: Amazing, amazing. Um, so now, as like this is this is stuff that you have all of You've applied to. You've applied to magical. What would be a, a message or a takeaway? that you would want, um, somebody who wants to start their own thing. What would be the one takeaway from entrepreneurship? It's difficult. It's hard. There's these lessons that you've learned. Is it worth it for somebody to do their own thing? Or is this something that would you do it again if you had the chance? We, we often
1: have, I know it's a cliche, but we have one life and the way that I look at decisions now is if, if this decision or an idea or a thought process where I'm at the, the juncture of making a decision and saying left is equal to something and right is equal to the same thing, should I do or should I not, if this decision is going to haunt me where in my last hour of my deathbed, assuming I had one hour before I died, uh, if it comes to my, my idea uh, through my one hour left... If it comes to me that I should have, would have, could have, then just do it. Um, I think in today's world, technology has made it so simple to craft your trade, whether it's selling content, building products, uh, providing value to an end user. So if your dream is to to help people, go do it. I think that's like the the biggest thing. And if it fails, you have your own hustle MBA that you can learn from that someone
0: will value ultimately Mm -hmm. in the business. And and I guess a follow-up question to that. So people are say people are highly motivated. What does it take to be successful? Is it motivation? Is it what's a character trait that you see is the the main character trait that would drive an entrepreneur to be successful? Can somebody, if they are motivated or passionate enough, make anything work? Or do you have advice for what ideas you should actually try and execute against? I think it's less about the idea.
1: I mean, I think the idea comes secondary to kind of like what what is your purpose in trying to achieve something? And because at the end of the day, there's going to be days and nights where you just don't want to wake up or you don't want to even open an email and you're like oh, like this this is cringeworthy, and you're gonna have those roller coaster moments and the reality is is there's gonna be a motive that is not extrinsically driven not i e financially driven that will help you to push yourself in moments of hardship, and those are the things that you really want to kind of like ground yourself into versus Thinking about making a million dollars or a billion dollars or whatever that that financial output is, I think that helps with kind of like and ultimately this it it helps with the whole entire sales process selling to a customer selling to an employee the moment you have like this this energy that's kind of going beyond just like the extrinsic motivations, people gravitate that they they love that energy they they want to listen up, peek up, and be like. This is what I want. This is the leader that I want to go after because, and this is the purpose that we, we want to go for. And I think that is ultimately kind of like the key distinction versus the idea. And I think the idea has to make sense, right? Like don't do something. I think that that's like the business fundamentals, but I think that you can stem that from like research and whether people are going to pay for it, they're going to love it and all that stuff. But it's, it's ultimately the, the intrinsic motivation to get up every day, the intrinsic motivation to, to have that spark and energy to sell, uh, and to convince people to, to take your product services or be employed, whatever the cause is that is ultimately kind of like the thing that one has to kind of seek in order
0: to kind of make that decision for entrepreneurship. Awesome, man. This was really good. This was like the, uh, this was like the human side of entrepreneurship, because this is, this is everything that I don't think people speak enough about. And, and candidly, like when I have a lot of conversations with great people, it's either like very tactical advice on how to build a business or alternatively there's a lot of negative sentiment towards startup and hustle culture and uh you know misalignment between what a founder wants and what a a vc wants so i appreciate this as well um for a founder uh are there things that uh that they should be cognizant of or aware of so that they can maintain all the things that you mentioned if they're looking for external capital because that can heavily influence a lot of the items that you just mentioned external capital is probably the one the one item that could have the most negative impact on all of those really good lessons learned because if you if you take money from a vc that does not believe in a lot of the things that you just mentioned i feel like that could be a really difficult relationship so how do you find the right person
1: i think anyone uh, who's gone to, through relationships knows this, you know, the easy and hard way, right? Uh, personal relationships yeah. that is right. It's, it's, uh, easy to, to hang out. Uh, it's provocative <laughs> to think about long-term marriage and, and partnership, but it's exceptionally hard for the breakup. Yeah. And one has to kind of think about that. You know, when we did our fundraising uh, for Magical, we've done a couple of fundraising. We just raised one of the largest rounds in Silicon Valley history. We chose investors that had the same vision and mission of what we had. We stress tested it. We said, and this is a course over eight to 10 months of just meeting with these people, not even pitching them to be like, "What's your thought in the industry?" Okay, yeah. how do you think about the best entrepreneurs? What do they do differently? What are the values? What are what are the things that that you have seen help? And and this is key learnings that we're learning from as well, right? Like they 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 have fifty hundred companies that or thousands of companies that they've invested in, and you're getting this key extraction, but you're getting a better sense of like what makes them go. And at the end of the day, we have to recognize that venture capitalists are trying to do their job, which is trying to 10x their investments for their investors. So one has to be mindful that if you're taking venture capital, that revenue and valuations are going to be the ones that they're going to be kind of indexing on. However, there's a human side of the business. And it's best to work with people. Like if you have a feel where, hey, investor one is giving you better terms, but investor two is more in sync with you, take the investor too because dilution at the end of the day is not going to like 1% dilution difference is not going to be material at the end of the day if you're trying to make uh, a meaningful outcome so i i think that's kind of like the the key thoughts that i often provide to entrepreneurs is is really think about the people who you want to do business with because at the end of the day they're all going to try to focus on making their capital 10x and that's just part of doing the business. But the, the reality is, is you want to have, you, you want to pick up the phone and call them. That is like the key thing. You don't want to pick up the phone or think about, like, you don't want to have a negative feeling or a cringeworthy experience to be like, oh, shoot, I have to call Scott. What is he going to yeah. say? Like, you know, you want to be like, I'm going to call Scott because I have a problem and he's going to now share this problem with me. And this is going to be
0: awesome. Right. That yeah. is like the t- type of feeling that you want. Amazing. Okay. I love it, man. Um, okay. I want to, I want to do some rapid fire to pull out some, some last like career insights from you. Some, uh, some professional insights, but before, before I pivot, um, where do people connect with you? If they want to, if they want to get magical, if they want to test it out, if they want to chat with you, where do they go? You hit the nail on the button. If you want to get magical, go to getmagical.com, uh, <laughs> I and, didn't even mean that know, to be honest until I said it. I'm like, wait, that's the domain. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> no, domain. it's uh it's a good domain, yeah. Um, yeah. So if you want to, like, you know, automate your soul-crushing mundane tasks, uh, check out Get Magical um, at GetMagical.com. For me personally, I am, I am indebted to the world. I'm indebted to um, and serving entrepreneurs, uh, students, and the elderly, all equal. Uh, so hit me up on Twitter, uh, Hsambi, or LinkedIn. Uh, I'm usually when you start typing in Harpal, I'm like the first person that kind of comes up. Uh, the key benefit perk of having a unique name, um, but uh, yeah, uh, hit me up either on LinkedIn or Twitter.
0: Um, I'm more than happy to help you. Awesome. Okay, a couple rapid fire. Let's let's jump let's jump uh, jump into it. Okay, so the biggest challenge in your professional or personal life, what was it? How'd you overcome it? Taking
1: money from my parents uh, as about only funding and having to tell an immigrant mother that didn't know anything about business that my $5,000 that I'm taking to pay people is going to be rewarding and worthwhile. That's tough.
0: That's a lot of stress. Good for you. For, good for you for, for not, for not messing it up, but that's a lot of stress. Um, okay. If you had to choose one or multiple people that have been, had a huge impact on your life, obviously there's been many, but, uh, who was that person and what did they teach you? Uh, young Wu from
1: Toronto, serial entrepreneur. Uh, he told me the adage of never, never fucking quit. Uh, that really helped. Uh, and my dad, uh, who continued to believe in me, those are the two that come top of mind.
0: Uh, a book or podcast that you'd recommend people go check out.
1: Besides so some Scott's, uh, you know, your, your own, uh, podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I love, um, Play Bigger is one category creation. It it just like really kind of expands that. Uh, A second one, more on the philosophical side, The Courage to be Disliked, I
0: think is a really great book. If you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Just do it. Easy. Good. And last, last question, what does success mean to you? Success means to me to
1: ultimately, my first business success was to help a million people get jobs, we did that, it's great. This time around, I wanna help a billion people do the things that they love to do. That's what success means to me.